welcome to Flycast Live. This is Steph. And I'm Cassandra. Um, the Bay Area of California, San Francisco, for those of you who are unfamiliar. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I'm really happy to, to hear that. Hello around the world, people. Kim is a nonprofit worker, um, and she is also La Dangler, uh, which is the Lady Angler. <laughs> and um, apparently... <laughs> Apparently, I've I've received some criticism on calling people Fisher people, so I'm trying to uh, work on uh, angler using anglers as much as possible. Uh, she's also a cyclist and a general outdoors woman. So, uh, welcome to the podcast, Kim. Hi! Thanks for having me. Ooh, look at you, so chipper. Um, <laughs> I'm in the bottom of a shallow well. <laughs> no worries. We did at our all. best. Um, yeah, and Kim has been so flexible and so wonderful as she always is. Mm -hmm. I always like to, do I always, do I have it always? I don't know. We've done a few of these thus far, but I like to start off with like a little icebreaker. So tell me about your last bike trip. Um, well, I went on a bike ride today. <laughs> um, I will say I'm an, I'm a novice cyclist, um, but my boyfriend, Kurt, has gotten me more into it for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so I've been in Seattle this summer and spent a lot of time on my bike just riding around it's been an awesome way to see the city especially during covid and there are tons of like aw just really beautiful areas surrounding the city too it's sort of kind of reminds me of the bay area in that sense is in that there's like a pretty big metropolitan area but you can get out of it fairly quickly and there's just like really diverse outdoor stuff to do which has been great and like really fun to see a lot of it on a bike No, I haven't I done any mountain biking. I have a road bike. I'm looking to get a okay. bike that, like, would allow me to do, you know, maybe some stuff on gravel and dirt roads. And probably not mountain biking, per se. Um, so we'll do rides around the city. But then also um, there are areas around here that are kind of like farmland. So it's like rolling hills. Oh, but nice. all on roads thus far. Um, I don't know. To me, mountain biking is, like, really hardcore. I don't know. I feel like you just get like covered in mud. I don't know. Not my vibe, but um, really like the road bike. And I think like being able to do dirt roads, gravel roads will kind of open up a lot of opportunities too. So is this cool. PG if I ask, how is your crotch handling all this biking? Great question. It's been a concern. <laughs> Not gonna lie. Um, so, I mean, I obviously, like I learned how to ride a bike as a kid and like I, 
um, before this summer, I've lived in Oakland, California for a long time, which is a really bikeable place. A lot of it's actually really flat, which is rare considering it's the Bay Area. Um, but like really just kind of bike to get like to and from work or to like run errands and not have to worry about parking. And so I'm not new to biking per se, but I, I think being in Seattle this summer, it's become more of a hobby. Like I, before this, wouldn't necessarily go on rides, like just for fun or for exercise. Um, but in doing that, like I'm going on a lot longer rides than I had done previously. So uh, yeah, the crotch was a major concern. Yeah, like finding the right bike seat is part of it. Um, I wear those like really dorky padded shorts, even okay. for rides that are not that long. Boyfriend Dan um, has those, and I go to grab his ass, and it's just I'm like, what is diaper? This it's like, a diaper. Yeah, She's thick. Yeah. It really helps. I think you have to kind of like because they're all like padded and like contorted, so you have to kind of find one that works for you. But that helps. You're not supposed to wear underwear with them because you don't want like the less the sort of like really were like seams and things <laughs> that can like move around down there, the better. So yeah, no underwear. They also oh, wow. make cream <laughs> that you can really. It's like you're just crotch cream putting yeah just like all up in there sorry Kim, um, are you the one that was saying you wanted to keep this pg and then right off the bat I mean, they, right into these are just cream. these are just facts of biking <laughs> okay it's it's part of it it's part of yeah it. normalized just... crotch cream hello mm-hmm. yeah uh, but yeah, it just reduces friction. It's sort of like, um, like people that run a lot will use body glide if they're per certain areas where they're chafing and it's really just the same thing, but they're kind of putting it on your butt cheeks. Yeah. Keeping it. It helps though. That's mm -hmm. great. Correct. Yeah. About your, your journey kind of away from the Bay area and then your, your prodigal return, hopefully. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm not like totally originally, but mostly grew up in the Bay Area, left to go to college on the East Coast and lived in New York for a long time and then moved back to the Bay Area to Oakland specifically. And um, I had been in Oakland for probably about six or seven years. And then I, I've been Is dating my sister? boyfriend. Yes, living with my sister. Teacher, Sandy Johnson. Mm -hmm. Love her, meet her on the pod. She is truly a gem to all of our lives constantly. Yeah, you should have her on. She's been um she's getting into some urban farming in Oakland. So Hell yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Sure. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. What's her chickens? What's her favorite? I don't know. Okay. You'll have to ask her. We'll yeah. We'll save it. We'll have to, to yeah, we'll get her on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lived with my sister for a long time in Oakland and then, um, she moved out in February of this past year and, um, my boyfriend, Kurt lives in Seattle and he, he is going to move to Oakland, but with all of kind of the COVID stuff, um, this spring, I just decided like he's going to move to Oakland eventually, but I don't need to be in Oakland for work or in the Bay Area at all for work right now since we're doing everything remotely. So I decided to just get rid of my 
adorable rent control department <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and throw everything in storage and just move to Seattle with him for the summer or the, even at the time, like I just had, I think we still know so little uh, about what the future will hold, but um, had no idea when I would have to be back for work, which at this point, who knows, probably 2021. Yeah, decided to just kind of go hang out with him in Seattle because there was nothing keeping me in the Bay Area. So I've been here with him since the end of May and we're in about a week and a half. We're going to drive down to the Bay Area and start looking for apartments. So we'll be back there soon. But it's been really, really fun to be in Seattle for the summer. And I had, you know, of course, visited him a fair amount, but you don't really get to see, get to know a city um, just visiting the way you do if you're kind of really fed up shop here. Um, so it's been great. And the weather in Seattle in the summer is beautiful. It's similar to the Bay Area in that it like doesn't rain, lots of sun. Um, so it's been awesome. But the weather's changing, so it's time to leave. Nice. Yeah, 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 <laughs> for like sure. The typical like foggy, cloudy, rainy starting now. I don't really know how it works. Yeah, I think it just starts. It hasn't been bad yet. Um, I think it, once it gets more into the winter, it just rains constantly. It's constantly raining, raining, and it's like not even that much. Like I don't know that they get a ton more rain than like other places, but it's just this like constant gray drizzle, which is not my vibe. Yeah, um, we got a bunch like. I guess it was probably two weeks ago, but yeah, we had a solid week where like you should not have like really shouldn't be outside, which is tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, during COVID times, obviously that's like pretty big bummer. Um, And I think we probably are getting a little bit now, but we're choosing to ignore it. Yeah, I mean, I've, like, I've had a bike since I lived in Oakland. Well, actually, long-term borrowing my mom's bike. But, um, (laughs) yeah, he got me more into it because it's just, he loves it and does a ton of it in Seattle. And so um, when I got up here in May, um, he very generously got me this adorable road bike that I love. Um, And we just, that's kind of been our activity since I've been up here. So do you mind if we kind of pivot into fly fishing? Because I, yeah. I really like, I know you really well because you're one of my sister's best friends and you're definitely a friend of both Cass and I. You come out to Montana a ton. Uh, we've gotten to kind of watch you grow as an angler, which has been really a pleasant, wonderful journey for me. Um, but so we had Danny, uh, Danny Worley on the podcast last week, and she was wonderful and great. And so we talked a lot about her kind of like her mentors and how she got into fly fishing. And I feel like you had a very different journey getting into fishing. So maybe, maybe you could tell us a little bit about like your initial interest in it. Uh, Cause I'm kind of curious about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, 
got into fly fishing after being at your place in Montana. I mean, I think I um, went out there the for the first time probably seven or eight years ago. I still lived at New York in the time. Um, and just obviously it's like one of the most incredible places I've ever been. And it's, you know, one of the best places to fly fish. And so um, I think it probably took me a couple trips going out there to want to learn how to fish, but it just, how do you go to the big hole Valley in Montana and not want to learn how to fish? So, um, I think I kind of recognized that there was a lot to it. Like, I think I, I don't remember if it was Nicola or who it was, gave me like a really quick casting lesson just outside of the A-frame, like not even on the river. And I was garbage at casting as I think everyone is the first time they pick up a fly rod. And so I just like, all right, I want to learn this, but there's obviously a lot of work that I need to put into it. So, um, I did some research and um, in San Francisco, there is a um, fly fishing club. There are actually a few in the Bay Area. There's one in Oakland too, but in Golden Gate Park, there's the Golden Gate Angling and Casting Club, which is, I forget if it's the largest fly fishing club in the US or in the world, but they have a ton of members. There are these really great casting ponds. So they're in Golden Gate Park. The ponds are public. Uh, but the club is, um, I think they're considered like a steward of the pond. So they kind of look after them and they have a little clubhouse there and they have some really fantastic programs, including, um, free casting lessons once a month. And so that obviously was a really easy way to get into it. Um, and they had loaner rods too. So I didn't, you know, I think it potentially is tough you know, thinking you might want to get into fly fishing and then having to cough up the money for a fly rod. But I was able to um, just borrow one totally free to borrow it, totally free to take the lessons. And so I started doing that and I really enjoyed the casting, Um, the casting ponds, like obviously there are no fish in them. So it's not terribly exciting, but it's rewarding when you start to kind of just get better and better at it. And so I think I just kind of took baby steps to learn the casting first. And then, you know, typically in a normal year, I'll go to Montana to the A-frame staff and Nicola's place at least once a year, if not more. And so kind of fished when I could. I think Steph, I probably fished more with you than anyone else. Um, And just really like taking any opportunity to say yes to go fishing and learn from really just my friends. Um, and I also did, I, this, um, the Golden Gate Angling and Casting Club also has a learn to fish program where, um, you sign up on a year by year basis and they do some classroom instruction, but also take you on what they call fish out. So that you sign up for these trips and they're week, week end long trips where, you know, you go and, uh, there is a, nominal fee but it's maybe a few hundred dollars and they have guides so like you're getting an awesome deal I mean you're able to fish and kind of be coached um without having to pay for a full guiding trip so that's been great too so I basically am just picking up information wherever I can whenever possible and what was what was the name of that like where you what you just brought up the like the club Yeah. So it's part of the club that Mm -hmm. like you go on the trips and stuff. Yeah. So they have all different types of um, like programs and classes that you can sign up for. And and anybody can join. Like it's just 
you show on up sort of deal or yeah so the club has a variety like just a variety of different classes so the casting lessons they have they have free casting lessons month once a month so anyone can go to those um and they don't I don't think they like cut it off at a certain number of people I think you know at a certain point they don't have any more loaner rods to lend out to people but otherwise that's like totally open to the public and then I joined their learn to fly fish program which you do have to you know sign up for um and we had to pass a kind of basic casting lesson um because the program wasn't focused on casting so they want to make sure you can at least like get a fly on the water before they take you out on these trips um but Mm. otherwise like really accessible really affordable i think it's 40 dollars a year to be a member um so yeah it's really it's really cheaper than netflix (laughs) that's great Uh uh-huh yeah it's cheaper than a lot of things (laughs) yeah get on out there that's great i've been to actually we've all i'm sure been to those casting pools i think I loved it when I was there once or twice. It's it's kind of a small world because that I used to. I mean, I grew up right around the uh, casting ponds, and I used to walk my dogs there. Um, yeah, you know, go around. They have like a doggy water fountain and stuff. Um, and my dad was always the member, so I'm. Uh, we're all weirdly familiar with the casting. No, ponds, which is it's kind of weird. Fun. Um, okay, Kim, can I ask you about, I mean, it seems like it took a lot of courage to kind of be like, I'm going to do this and I'm just going to put myself in this situation where I can learn how to fish. Like, you know, like just being like, I'm going to walk into this club and I'm going to learn how to fish. Like, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that experience. And the small knowledge I do have of that club, it seems like a real boys club. I it, don't know, but it's just that's like old men smoking old dudes. on a lawn. Yeah. Uh, just a lot of old dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think I just was really determined to learn. And I think you have to put aside any sort of like fear, ego, like you just kind of have to go for it and total like there are moments that are uncomfortable not because anyone's like a creep or anything but yeah like sometimes like I'm especially in the most the more advanced casting class classes they kind of like divide you up into sections depending on your ability level and it's usually not just me as the only woman it's usually me and like maybe one other person um and so it is a little bit of a boys club but I've also found it to be really inclusive I think that's something that's really surprised me about fly fishing not that I necessarily thought it was exclusive but I find in general going into a fly shop or like getting to know people at this club people really want more people to fly fish especially women and so I'm not like particularly involved in this club or anything but in participating in some of their programs um, I feel like most of you know, the instructors and the other members have just been really encouraging and welcoming. And I think kind of one of the benefits to being a female fly fisher woman, um, still don't know what to call that either. We need something that, catchy. We need something I know. catchy. I don't, I, you guys, you don't like La Dangler. I, I mean, I, like- I thought you were, I literally thought you were like, ch- I, I thought, I didn't know. I was thought I thought it was like Kim's nickname, like she was the dangler or something. You don't I was like confused. because you don't know like what that means. Right. 
Okay. Yeah, it's dangerous. But we need something better than fly fisher woman. Like nobody's got that Angler. much time for those many. Angler, yeah. Okay. Angler. I I guess. We'll I see. think angler works for our purposes today, but yeah, we should do like a big brainstorming session on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we'll workshop it. But yeah, I think like one of the benefits to being a female angler is that, you know, whether it's at the casting ponds or, for, or even just fishing, like at Chrissy Field, for example, in San Francisco, if I see another angler, um, and like I'm an introvert, I'm not necessarily like trying to make friends with every person I cross paths with, like I just say mm-hmm. hi, but like I don't ne- need to like have a conversation with every other person fishing there. But if it's a woman, like 100% will end up having a conversation. And so I think when you do find those people, um, when you're kind of out and about, you do, it's pretty easy to forge relationships because you're kind of the minority yeah. in the sport. Yeah. Can we talk, can we talk about um, like fishing in the Bay Area? Because I love fly fishing. And my mom still lives in San Francisco and I go back and, but I never really think about like, I need to fly fish in San Francisco. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was always, I was always pretty, I was, I was always too scared to give it a, give it a shot. I, when I lived there for a brief moment, one of my, uh, chefs, boss guys, whatever, he, uh, was actually from Montana and he fly fished all the time. He was like, you should come out. And I was like, I am terrified. I don't understand. Fly fishing the bay. Yeah. What like what do you do? Yeah. I I mean, so you don't need to give us your secret special spots, but just like yeah, just no names. I have no secrets at all. I mean, it's um, it's different from trout fishing in kind of like a really great way, in that Mm -hmm. the fish are not very picky, (laughs) um, and so you need so in San Francisco you need some heavier gear so I have an eight weight rod that I found at a flea market um I have a really crappy reel that's Hmm. going to be destroyed by salt water um that's cool kind of nice having crappy gear for the salt water because anything's going to get destroyed anyways so you need to noted I didn't know that yeah oh yeah the salt water will destroy anything so you can invest a little more money on a reel that's meant for salt water and that will help with the lifespan of the reel but eventually like everything is going to get corroded you have to walk um, everything off too and like separate mm-hmm. the reel it's like more work than you'd think it's hot yeah, tips. It's a pain all of your like it is right. kind of a pain like my wading <laughs> boots i like completely forgot to wash them but the like little metal hooks started rusting and i was like oh this everything that i do is just rusting out everything will rust but um yeah, a good rinse should really help with that. But even, yeah, the um, hooks on your flies will rest. So yeah. like whatever you've been using, like you don't want to put that back in your fly box wet. You want to take it home, rinse it, let it dry before you put it back in there. This is complicated. I, I had no idea. I but just, it's so like, funny because it's not. It's so, so, like the fish are not picky. You just got to chuck a fly out there. <laughs> <laughs> So like, it up I there. Have, yeah, this heavier broad, chuck a fly out there. You're stripping um, in San Francisco. I'll use what's called an Adachi clouser. This 
actually not remembering his I think it's Steve Adachi I think Steve is his first name but it's this guy that looks for works for Lost Coast Outfitters I happen to be wearing this sweatshirt but uh, Lost Coast Outfitters is the only fly shop left in San Francisco Um, there are others in the Bay Area but in San Francisco specifically it's the only one Um, and he ties these really awesome like little Clouser guys Um, they're not little actually they're pretty big um but they're super effective with stripers um and so yeah I just tie one of those on chuck it out there um you don't have to wade super far out um and just strip and you definitely want to keep moving because if they're fish where you're fishing you're going to catch them if there aren't fish there obviously you aren't going to catch anything yeah um so it's all about moving um you know dawn early morning tends dawn dusk like standard fishing principle um, tends to kind of do the trick, but it's far and away the most accessible fishing in the Bay area. The closest trout stream from Oakland is probably an hour and a half or two hours and it's not a good one. So it just opens. So it just opens up so many more opportunities. If you have that saltwater set up and are willing to just kind of get out there and chuck a fly and it's really fun. I mean, I had gone out probably four or five times before I ever caught a fish and like you snag one and they put up a good fight and certainly bigger than any trout I've ever caught. Yeah. Wow. Um, so cool. it's really fun. It's different. It's like not the precision of trout fishing um, yeah. by any means, but it's really fun. What's the like etiquette in that area? Like are people pretty respectful? Is it really busy? Like what's it like? Yeah. That so that's the, so my favorite place to go and where I fish more than anywhere else is Chrissy Field, which is right on, um, it's on the Bay side. So it's the San Francisco Bay, but it's right inside of the Golden Gate Bridge. So it's pretty close to where the ocean is meeting the Bay. And it's this great, it's a beautiful beach run right under the Golden Gate, but definitely like heavy, heavily used by people especially people with dogs and so that's another reason to go in the morning so I'll usually try to get I'm not like super hardcore and that I'll get there at like 6 a.m but I'll try to get there by like 7 or 8 usually and get an hour or two in before people really start to show up it's it's not so much other anglers that you're avoiding it's just people using the beach because when you're you know back casting with this like big old fly like you need to not you have to be you like hook somebody running (laughs) that would be awful i've been i've been (laughs) to reservoirs um in massachusetts where there i there were joggers like directly behind me and i had to be Mm -hmm. like oh i'm casting excuse me you have to be so careful because like yeah the dogs obviously don't know any i mean they're dogs um and then people will stand i feel like i don't know if it's because I'm a woman or people are just intrigued by fly fishing, but like people want to talk. They want to ask you some questions about oh, what you're doing yeah. out there. For sure. And they'll stand directly behind you. Yeah. When you're it. swinging they this massive fly. Like 15 feet behind um, you, just like hammering. <laughs> yes. I'm mm-hmm. very, you so gotta you like, you to gotta be... like, you gotta like show really. to them and be like, look, people, this mm-hmm. is what you want it this in could your go state. into your eyeball. <laughs> yeah oh man that's cray mm-hmm. did not yeah, so, I never considered these things yeah that's something you have to contend with in a lot of it's places a whole, that aren't Montana different 